five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. me out however the recording was still going so it probably doesn't affect it um okay we hope we hope <laughs> well the lines are going up and down so uh. <laughs> that's the most important thing <laughs> okay so Marielle, they hype her up defending champion fastest qualifying time all this stuff and then f- keep in mind like i have no idea how this event's about to look because i've never actually watched this before and they well i'm sure i've watched it but didn't know what it was sure. so then they line up at the gates and then they come out choom, they're going, they're going, they're going. And then all of a sudden, like the other two are kind of out in front a little bit and she's trying to catch up and they're talking about, oh, wow, this is unlike her. You know, she normally fast start. Yeah. And then so she you can tell she's like really rushing, trying to like catch up. And then boom, slides right as she's landing, slides her ski into the girl in front of her. They tangle up. She spins out, crashes in. And then so the sport is like the first two to finish win. Yeah, <laughs> you know, of exactly. Every one of these heats. And I'm like, that's it? Yeah. She's done? <laughs> It's over. <laughs> so here you are, like, expecting, you know, because it's, it's not like like in, say, like the NBA or something. Everybody knows LeBron. He's the famous guy. you got to beat him four times yeah. for that to be over. So you, it's this sport is insane. Like, in the blink of an eye, something you worked for for four years, yeah. just gone. Yeah. I mean, that happened to me multiple times. It's It's just like, yeah, it's the way it is. Of course, you everything can change and that's why it's also so exciting because people like to watch it because anything can happen you know you have four people that are racing first to finish go to the next round but it's you know it's unusual that the the favorites are always the ones to win right so it's like um that is interesting yeah it's it's, not like a lot of sports no so that that's why it's really cool to watch and um yeah sometimes you're you can be lucky sometimes you know, unlucky. It just kind of depends. And, um, you know, there's a lot of tactics involved and yeah, it's, 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 there's a lot more to it than, than you can kind of just see when you watch it. All right. And so just to give people the intro now, so your name is Pam Thorburn and you are a former British national ski champion and you were the only, I want to get this correct and you can definitely correct me, but you were (laughs) the only, uh, female skier who, competed in both World Cups in Alpine and Ski Cross? Is that what it was? So I'm the only um, British uh, female that, that did like a World Cup uh, Alpine and Ski Cross. And there's only a few of us in the world that did both. Man, that's but insane. Because uh, there's multiple different types of Alpine skiing, right? Yeah, exactly. Can you maybe explain that just a little bit? Yeah, sure. So your Alpine skiing is the more traditional uh, ski racing that people kind of have seen probably on tv like in in the u.s you guys have uh, lindsey vaughn and michaela schiffer and like totally the best of the best um bodie miller right? bodie miller yeah, yeah. absolutely so cool um so you have like a, a slalom giant slalom super g downhill and a combined it's like five events um they're all under uh, alpine skiing and i competed in all of those mostly the speed events which are the like really fast, scary ones. Yeah, the really fun <laughs> ones. Um, they said in one of those about videos, they said that in order to keep the skiers safe, they try to keep the course designed to where it 
limits their speed to 150 to 160 kilometers per hour. Like, Only 150 yeah. kilometers per hour. Yeah. What do you say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that like the really fun thing, of course, is that you do get like really high speeds. But then the forces of like when you're in a turn and the different courses and things are, are really big. So when you do crash, you, you know, there's you know sometimes the majority of times something can happen you know you twist an knee the wrong way or whatever or or worse mm-hmm. um but that's just that's just part of the sport and so i already know the answer to this question i hate i shouldn't have done so much research but how <laughs> many injuries have you had from skiing um well i mean actual injuries i'm not i'm okay, not sure surgeries surgeries yeah so i i i had 13 um I will have my. I'm already scheduled in for 14 and 15. Um, so, yeah, it's it's been it's been quite some injuries. But um, I I really always in my kind of career, I went from being like taking maybe a little bit too much risk. I like that kind of line. Uh, I always was pushing over the line a little bit too much, and and I also, yeah, a lot of the time just came back a little bit too early, or or I always wanted to just compete, compete even if I wasn't ready. So like, that's one thing that I think I look back on my career and I think as a coach now for, for me, I, I want to try and help people not do that. Right. Like only, only do things and especially things like that when they're ready mm. and uh, when they're fit and healthy and a hundred percent to go, because otherwise the risk is, is way too much. And absolutely. And you said something pretty interesting in an Instagram post of yours that I saw. It was kind of an emotional post. It was the one, I guess, where you announced your retirement from skiing. But you said something in there where, um, so you had your goal, right, of where you wanted to get with skiing. And then obviously when you're in the thick of it, you think like, I still haven't gotten to that goal. Like I haven't accomplished my mission. And so you keep pushing yourself physically and mentally and in all these different ways in order to get to that goal. But it's only later when you have some distance, when now you realize, wait a minute, I actually accomplished quite a lot of shit here that I can be pretty proud of. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one of those things where when you're in it at the time, you're just constantly you know, thinking of the, the end goal, right. And everything is for that. And, you know, I think I put that since I was, uh, 15, just before I left school, that that's all I was focusing on. And it's all I focused on really until actually this year when I really decided, okay, enough is enough. (laughs) Um, but I think that was also something that, that it, it was a good thing and a bad thing because it was, was something that just made me keep pushing, at times where I probably shouldn't be pushing. Right. So I should, uh, it was hard to, you know, when you have people whispering in, in your ear, like, oh, just do one more or, oh, you're okay. You know, it's mm-hmm. a, you know, especially with things like concussion. So I have a lot of problems with that now. And, you know, when it's an injury that people don't see, they can't see anything, you know, they, they're kind of always more like, oh, it's okay, you know, you'll be fine. Just, yeah. just, just go and... And um, of of course, what I know now from 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 like brain injuries or, or those kind of things, it's uh, right and the CTE stuff. Yeah, and... exactly. It's a whole world of uh, problems, and and now that's what I'm dealing with. Like, uh, you know, and I'm only I just turned 35, and um, I have a lot more problems than I really should. Mm-hmm. And and that's you know that's quite hard to take, you know, because you're like you're going for something, but maybe it wasn't the best idea to do this or to do that and 
Yeah, but you don't want to live with regrets, you know? So but that's the thing, right? You yeah, don't... so at the time, you're trying to not have regrets yeah. <laughs> by doing it. Yeah. Then you get to later in life, like, oh, wait a minute, yeah. I have the Damn other it. regrets. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was always, you always have, like, two ends of the spectrum. You have the, the, some people saying, like, you know, you shouldn't do that. You'll never walk again. Mm. And uh, you have the other ones, and they're like, oh, come on, it's going to be fine. So I'm, like, one on each shoulder. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, it's going to be fine. Um, and absolutely, I don't. Like people ask me all the time, do you regret uh, anything or, or whatever? I just think that um, it's good to learn from it. And I think it actually makes me a better coach now that I went through these experiences. Mm. I know what can happen, what, you know, in, in different cases. And, and that's why I, I want to take that into my coaching. Well, it's it's interesting because so if you look at, um, we'll, we'll get back into the differences between ski cross and alpine skiing because when you watch people doing alpine skiing, like you go to a ski resort, whatever, and you see the people who are actually good skiers, they don't really fall a lot. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you see people doing these black diamonds and they're not falling, you right. know, like, so you would think like, oh, if you're a great skier, then, you know, you wouldn't get hurt all that much except for maybe the knee problems and back problems. I know it's kind of common for snowboarders and skiers. Um, but like, so watching and that's why I want to get back into the difference because watching you guys and what happens in those falls I mean I don't really know how to ski I know how to slide down a mountain really fast <laughs> that's what I know how to do because I can't really turn very well like by the end of the day when I do it you know I have some kind of a little bit more more bearings but the last time I went was in Switzerland in Jungfrau and th th a couple of times like it was so insane that this one time I remember when I because literally like I'm sliding down these these slopes and then I'm just like out of control trying not to hit people and then I just kind of try to crash in some controlled <laughs> manner like that's literally what I do and um or have done in the past I plan to go to ski school in the future to not do that anymore to try to protect the people around nice, me at least exactly but so in one of one of these crashes right like I just crash and I turn in such a way and the ski gets caught and I felt my knee just totally turn and I mean from every sport I've ever played obviously you have those moments where you feel knee pain oh no like what did I just like I'm immediately thinking ACL is like torn or something like that yeah and then the first problem was getting my ski out of the snow and yeah it was a really snowy day but anyway 10 minutes later I was totally fine like there was nothing wrong with my leg very you know blessed that that was That's kind good. of That's the good. way that that went and then two or three other of those falls, I remember my head, like, I, I kind of remember seeing the sky as my head's going backwards, and then boom, you know, and it's like so much pain, and you just kind of feel that, like, that shake, Yeah. and I remember, so when I started, you know, watching the ski cross videos, because it's very common for people to fall, to crash, oh, because yeah. you're going so fast, and you're racing people, Yeah. so to take those kind of hits, you're almost like a football player. Yeah. So, so the funny thing is, um, the funny thing, uh, <laughs> the terrible I thing. I mean, <laughs> the difference actually Alpine, like the Alpine skiing that I did, the, the speeds, um, like downhill and super G, um, you're going a lot faster in those than you are in ski cross. Mm -hmm. So ski cross is a lot slower for that, but it's the features on the course and on the track and the fact that you're racing three other people that are so doing... So those bumps that you're going over. Yeah, so there's like things called rollers um, and there's the jumps. So you, the main difference between the jumps and alpine is that you you ride the jumps and they follow the the, the terrain of the hill, ah. right? So like you they will go pretty far because you're going fast, but you will always go with the kind of shape of the mountain, right? Where you're going. But uh, in freestyle, in ski cross, uh, the jumps are built to, 
to the, go up. Yeah. So it's a whole different way to learn how to jump. So when I first switched over, I was like, oh, it's okay. I know how to jump. Like, it's fine. And I hit this first jump and I was like, oh my God, I'm looking up to the sky. <laughs> I've never done this before. Um, so you have to really learn how to jump. But because it sends you so high, um, you know, there's a lot of things that can you know, you're a lot higher from the ground. So when you come down <laughs> and you're not landing well, you know, a lot of it kind of hurts. Yep. Um, so there's those features and they're building the courses so technical. So like big kind of cutouts and, um, you know, really like big gaps that you have to clear. And um, if you don't clear one, you don't have enough speed to go off the next jump. And you, if you won't make the landing and things like that. So it's very technical. Mm, and yeah. there's so much to it. Yeah, there, there really is. And they do that at the start section to separate the field. So because if it was too easy a start, you would be all on top of each other. Oh. So they try to make so it's it a strategic thing. Yeah, they try to make it as technical as possible. So there's a little bit of space between the riders before they hit a first turn or the first jump. So that's kind of um, how they play it. But it it's and then in the so, case of Marielle, there's yeah, no space. No, but there's it's so hard to like nail it especially every time. So you should see these, you know, we, the races that everybody can see that's after all the training days. Ugh. So you should see it the first training day when people like we turn up, there's of course testers. And sometimes we watch the course testers and it's a, a shit show. It's a mm. total disaster. And especially like if you go from, you know, you have your first training day and you're like, whoa, okay, they need to, this jump actually needs to change because it's too dangerous or it's too long or it's too high or kicky mm -hmm. or something. Um, and they, you know, things will change, but then maybe it will snow overnight. So you go into the next training day and it's way slower, <sighs> right? Or or it's it freezes overnight or it's way faster the next day. So then it's, it's a like whole- It's like golf at this point. <laughs> right? <laughs> so then it's a whole new track. So you're, you're like, yeah. okay, I've got a new kind of um, thing to think about today. So- we've had usually if 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 it works well we've had like a couple days training on the track before the competition goes so by the competition day you should be kind of dialed into how the track is running but i mean when you're against other people you know it's just anything goes really oh, i know it's insane <laughs> it's it's interesting because um so like it's a little bit like skateboarding in a sense that there's no way to practice it really without risking your bodily harm right and it's been kind of a big movement in the nfl because you spoke we spoke about the cte factor yeah. before that's one of the leading places where they're doing a ton of research on cte and so it's it used to be kind of this old school thing of you know for nfl teams you want to practice with full pads and you want to hit each other during the week and stuff and of course their games are on sunday and the idea was that if they practice that way they'll play that physically and that's the only way to get them to be that physical and then over time the thinking like when you look at the injuries and stuff like that the thinking kind of started to change well actually their bodies have very limited lifespans so right. we should actually be saving the physical you know um, problems that they're going to encounter for the actual games that they're getting paid for. Yeah. So then you had this big, you know, kind of trend of, okay, let's dial down the physicality and just work on, like you said, the technical stuff. But for you, that's what's kind of, I'm sure there are some things maybe you can do without, you know, going full speed, you know, down one of these jumps or something, but there's not a lot you can do. It would seem like to practice without risking harm. Yeah. I mean, what, what is the big thing is, um, in, in ski cross compared to alpine skiing, um, we run the men and the women on the same track and in Alpine, we have totally separate tours. So the men have their own tours and tracks and the women have their own. Um, and what we have is 
the track has to be able to take the fastest man and the, the slowest woman, mm. right? So, but those two riders are riding pretty differently, actually. Um, so, usually, it, it, it's always a pretty big course, the the, the World Cup courses, um, because it's exciting and that's you know it has to be a certain level. Um, but for like the for the women especially, they have to ride really hard from training number one or they're not even going to make it to the landing of the jumps. Right. So it's like you have to commit 100% from that first training run or you're actually risking a lot. So oh, yeah. so it's like you have to kind of you have this kind of fight with yourself where you're like yeah, but th- I'm not feeling good mm-hmm. today because I don't know how that's going to run, but you just kind of have to to do it because yeah, otherwise it's a lot more dangerous to go in like yeah. cautious and hesitant because you're going to be slower and you're not going to make features and so it's kind of a it's a tough one actually for that mentally it's a, a big game no it know? is the, i think the only thing that i uh have in my mind maybe that I, I could relate to it is skateboarding and maybe like diving you know because it's like if you've ever my first dive off a high dive ever i just did a total belly flop <laughs> because it was like i couldn't consciously make myself do the flip i was so afraid of breaking yeah. my neck or something and it's the same in skateboarding. Like I'm not a you know skateboarder or anything like that, but I did it in middle school. You know, so you right. kind of learn the basics, and that's one of the first things they teach you is like you gotta just go for it. If yeah. not, you're gonna hurt yourself because yeah. it's that kind of pull up moment. You know that that yeah. is where the harm is. Yeah, it's very similar in that respect. Like you know when you're dropping into like a pipe or something, it's the same thing. When when we're dropping into the course, we you know you have to just commit, otherwise, yep. yeah, bad things can happen. No, for sure. <laughs> so let's uh, let's go back to the beginning because I, I want to circle around to quite a few things. But um, you started skiing when you were three years old, and you said in Austria, and because your parents were both big skiers, right? Yeah, my parents are big skiers. We went to uh, Austria for my first um, ski holiday, and I have a brother who, who's a skier as well. And um, and yeah, and it was a pretty heavy start. Like my dad is is very. Um, like my whole family are into sports but my dad was a karate champion and really his, yeah his like kind of mentality to to it was like okay well you're, you're gonna do it if you fall you're gonna get up and that's it and i remember this one time and i can't believe i remember it because i was very very young at the time and i fell over and i was like yeah i can't get up and he was like well if you can't get up i'm gonna leave you <laughs> and uh and he did he left and i wow. was like oh my god i have to get up so, um, and that was kind of very quickly, I learned like, okay, got to do it myself. So that was actually a really good thing, of course, for me, because it was, it, it taught me really quick that I can kind of man up a little bit. Right. And, um, sexist and yeah. way to say it, but yeah. <laughs> you're allowed. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> In the totally woman way, you're going to man up a bit, yeah. but, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of how it started. And, um, and then I basically just tried to chase my brother all over the place and, catch him and beat him and as yeah. much as they can no that's that's actually common i saw a thing on instagram the other day where it was a video of michael jordan saying that if his brother had been you know six foot three then he would have been known as his little brother and right. you know instead of being the famous michael jordan because he said my brother was always better than me and i was always just trying to beat him right so by the time i got to you know college and i'm getting to play other people who aren't my brother it's like okay this is a little bit easier <laughs> oh yeah for sure so exactly. that, that that like brotherly competition it was the same thing for us i had a, a big brother who was six years old well, i still have him six years <laughs> older than me and then i had uh, one that was three years younger and one that was a year older um and so it's just like 
And then my dad, of course, huge sports fanatic. And so we just, you kind of get brought up into this environment of ultra competitive, you know, just want to win at everything. Yeah. Uh, but it really does help in the athletic field. Like you, you need that. And the other thing I think about sports in general, and we'll, we'll also talk about this with the CrossFit stuff later, is that the thing that I take the most away from, from my entire like athletic careers and, you know, all from childhood is learning not to quit. Because I remember starting in seventh grade, you know, you show up for basketball and the first two weeks, every day, all you're doing is running Mm -hmm. for like an hour, you know, and you're young then, so you can kind of take it. But the whole thing is they're just trying to get people to quit, you know, because they don't want the people who are just here for a good time. Right. But I always had this thing of like, there's no way I can go home and look my dad in the face and say, oh, I quit. And then he says, why? Well, because they made us run. That's a terrible reason. Yeah. And there's so many things now that will happen in life where it may be quite physically uncomfortable, but you just know, hey, my body can't take this. You know, if I push it, it will do what I want it to do. But sports really does teach you that. It really makes that a reality for you. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think I always have the the thing where I I feel like I cannot quit. Mm -hmm. Um, again a positive and a negative on my side because that was also the thought in my mind where I thought if I take more time now if I say I'm not going to do this competition or if I say like I'm really hurting or something I always felt that that was me quitting or Mm, you know you know take having some kind of excuse um so that that was one thing that probably now I know that actually that's that's not weakness. No. You know, that's actually just being smart. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> so, but yeah, it, it definitely something that, that sport does teach you, of course. I think it's one of the good things about how uh, mental health has gotten such a much broader um, focus now or like, you know, gets a lot more attention from people. I'm, <laughs> what, nine, 13 something years removed from uh, high school sports, but I hope that today that that's something that they're doing is kind of checking on these kids mentally and seeing kind of if your if your heart is in it you know and that kind of stuff because I think what you just talked about is if the only reason that you're quitting is because you don't want to run well obviously you shouldn't quit Mm. but if you're quitting because you actually don't enjoy this activity it's not something that you're passionate about and you think there's other things that you could do then you should quit you know yeah for sure I think that's one of the problems with say high school and middle school is there's not a whole lot of legitimate activities for you know kids leisure time besides sports in the U.S. I'm speaking primarily about right um, and that's a problem because there's so many different you know things once you get out of school mm. that you're going to be pulled into like if you're a you know history buff in in high school or a, you want to be a physicist there's not a lot out there for you to kind of maybe a science fair once a year, but for athletes, there's tons of, of options. But like you talk about, so many kids are just doing stuff to kind of keep up with the societal pressures and things like that, that um, they're probably not doing things that they're actually committed to. And that is a problem is you need to have that ability in life to say, look, I don't want to do this. I'm going to quit doing it because I don't want to do it. Right. Not like that internal guilt where you just feel like, oh, I'm a failure if mm-hmm. I quit this. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, in the UK, I guess we had the same. It's all, um, you have all the different kind of sports teams. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, because I've never really thought of it that way, but of course that makes sense that there's not much. Well, how did you, because 
a lot of people that you see that start a sport that they continue from the age of three to the age of 30, mm. you know, like a lot of people would get burnt out. A lot of people have that kind of trouble with it, of especially like if their whole family does it and it's a big family affair. How did you kind of navigate that and not ever, maybe you did have burnout, I don't know. Uh, so actually it was something um, that my, my family never pushed me to do anything. Um, that was quite a big thing because I saw a lot of, a lot of athletes especially around like the kind of early 20s you could really tell if it's something that they really want to do or not or if they're just kind of they're good at it so they're kind of being pushed from their family to do it um so that was one thing that i had is my family were super supportive of all my decisions uh, for that um i really tried to make it fun when i could so i would separate like the competition and the training and I would just go like powder skiing because I love powder skiing. Um, if if it was a powder day, I would rather go powder skiing than training, for example. And I think that's something that um, at the time seemed like you can't do that because you have to train. But Can actually, you explain what powder skiing is? So powder skiing is basically when it's, it's snowed a lot and there's a lot of snow. Say like, um, yeah, it can be up to your neck, but yeah. it, that's, that's the dream. But, um, yeah, it's a bunch of, it's a, it's a lot of snow and you're, you're just kind of, you feel kind of like you're floating. Um, it's like the best feeling in the world, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Powder skiing. You ever watch um, some of those documentaries? Like that's it. That's all. And stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Where they, oh man, yeah. those are so beautiful. Yeah. So exactly. Um, so that's, yeah, I mean, that's something that is just so fun and that's what I do now, um, that I'm not competing is I just will always try and search for powder skiing. Mm. Um, and I, I even like dabbled a little bit in the free ride world qualifiers and I had thought to go on, like to try and compete in the free ride uh, circuit after ski cross. Mm. So I was like, oh, let's, let's go uh, further over. But, um, yeah, so it's it's a it's a really nice kind of fun way to do it. I mean, it's totally you can go totally extreme, which you can't everything. Yeah. But uh, powder skiing is awesome. So w- were there um, times like because when I was just looking at all the different events you did, like that's an insane like circuit of uh, activity in any type of activity. Um, were there times you know like you had friends who were just kind of like living a normal life and you weren't because you're off like training and then competing and I'm sure your family was traveling with you and things like that that. Were there times that you really felt like, wow, I have a much different life from my friends and sometimes that you wanted their life, sometimes that you didn't want their life? How did that feel? Um, I think it was mostly you you kind of see that more when you're finishing school. Um, Like I had the last years of uh, high school at secondary school um, where there was just everybody was going to parties and, um, you know, that kind of thing, having, having fun that way. And I, I never really went to any parties because I was always training or I was always away uh, on a camp or something. So that was really something that, um, was a big difference. And actually I, 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 I then kind of felt pretty isolated from a lot of people from at school because, um, because you just don't get the same interaction with people. Um, my family didn't travel with me, oh. uh, not really only when I was younger. So I, I guess it would be tough at a certain point. Like they can't drop their whole lives. Yeah. Right. They, they have to work. So, yeah. um, my brother was, was at university at that time. He was doing a law degree at the time. So, so yeah, so I would kind of just go off with certain teams like our youth team and, and children's teams. And, um, 
they would be at home and I would I would come back a few weeks later so it just kind of always went like that and then when I was 16 and I I left school uh early and I I moved to Austria full-time with with the British national team then I then I was away from for months at a time and so yeah it was only actually when I had my first big injury that I came home and that I was actually home for in, in Scotland for an kind of longer period of time because <laughs> I was rehabbing that's when I got to kind of see how other people my age were kind of living <laughs> it was so weird oh, this is normal life I was like what is happening yeah even though I I so I kind of like looked at it from afar because I still was not really doing it but right. I could kind of see it so it was, it was like all right that's that's normal right okay so has the point kind of come at this point now where you can just totally let loose since you have officially retired? And I mean, <laughs> obviously now you're a fitness freak, so. Uh, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I can, but I just, I think what happened e- each year, we would have this kind of end of season, um, like kind of party uh, once a year. Once a uh, year. <laughs> yeah, um, when, you know, when we were like finishing one season before we started another one and um that was always really really fun but i just i loved training so much that i was like yeah i i hate feeling crap like i hate feeling bad i hate yeah. i feel feeling tired i don't i hate being hung over mm-hmm. um and i'm not a good drinker so i was like <laughs> this, uh, this is not for me well um, you have to love the training right in order yeah. to do it for that long like you yeah. absolutely have to love it yeah what what actually happened for the last um like 10 years or so was every year I was rehabbing. So I was rehabbing just year after year, some kind of injury. And um, that was really the hardest part because, you know, I couldn't then do the normal training. You're always kind of just like, you feel like you're getting back to square one. Yeah. So um, it puts a lot of pressure on the outcome as well. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Because you're investing so much in the ability just to get back out there to compete again. Yeah, exactly. And and it's also what made it harder when, you know, you would you would spend so much time and so much effort to come back and you know, maybe you're there for one one race and then you're injured again. <sighs> and I mean, it's it happened to me, you know, <laughs> sadly more than once. Um, you know, where you, 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 you sacrifice everything to, to do that and you, you put in countless hours and time and, and, um, yeah. And, and, and you just, you, you fly to the other end of the world and then your <sighs> first run out, then you crash and you're, that's it. So I it's, can't imagine, <laughs> but I mean, you know, you say it not, not like you're embarrassed or anything, but when you say it happened to me, like from the videos that I saw, it happens to a lot of people, yeah. you know, and it, it's yeah. a, that's also kind of a a crazy thing to maybe like choose a sport that is such a risky sport in a way like there's there's a good chance that like you just said your first run you've just put four years of and obviously you're doing things during the four years you're qualifying you're doing all these other races but I guess the Olympics are kind of like that in general right I mean so you uh you met the criteria to be in the Olympics twice yeah so I I met the criteria in two different sports in alpine and in ski cross and um yeah it was it's obviously something that's was for quite some time a very hard thing for me to accept um we had one year where our federation went bankrupt Mm. uh 2010 this is in britain the british 
British Ski Federation. Ski Federation. Oh, yeah. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. Um, they went bankrupt, and um, a lot of people that uh, suffered from that. So we, I, I remember hearing that it had happened, and within like a day, my coach, who was traveling with me at the time for competitions it was just the two of us he had to fly back home because they couldn't pay him anymore so i was suddenly alone at these uh like olympic qualifying events and how old were you at this time uh 2010 so yeah 11 years ago so 24 jeez is that that long ago i'm like i know i'm like <laughs> when was it how old or, am I? Or, or was it 2000 <laughs> yeah it was for the 2010 olympics so it was like 2009 just turning Oof. 2010 and um yeah, I remember my like suddenly being alone at these qualifier events and for speed you just cannot be alone because you need a coach to check the course for you to tell you if there's something going on in the course to that, like you, you can't do that that sport alone. So um I had to actually just kind of try and team up with other countries. And yeah, of course nobody wants to take anyone else on mm. right because you're of course their competition or you're paying into the program all right but i couldn't do either so so eventually yeah i remember that it was the austrian uh team at the time at this competition and um and we <laughs> they were like yeah you where's your coach and i was like because he was austrian and i was like yeah he's, he's gone and so they they really helped me where did he go yeah he went home because they, they were like the federation said like oh, yeah, right, you can't because, be there right. because okay, yeah. cause we can't pay you and your job's done and you should have done it to, for free come I on know, right? take it for the team <laughs> I know so then they let you borrow their coach well they let me kind of kind of tag along a little bit with uh, they helped me with the course reports like telling mm. me like okay um, yeah the, of course you have different places on the track and they'll be like turn seven has a huge hole so uh, try to take it a little bit wider or be careful on this turn or this jump is running a little long or, you know so all these things you have to know before you before you you run because yeah. otherwise you're going in totally blind so um so which that seems was impossible in such a high-risk sport like yeah it was it's crazy and a literal game of inches <laughs> yeah yeah exactly so um and that race that i was on my own i i made the qualifying result wow so, um so yeah it was, <laughs> it was it was nice but i was like oh this is awesome i was like <laughs> no one's here because <laughs> yeah, then i saw you in a in another interview then you later on after that when you said oh it's nice to have a coach again <laughs> yeah yeah right and i was like what did you, why didn't you have a coach <laughs> strange yeah so the thing is when i made the switch i i had such a a, a tough time then after that like um, they were cutting the speed program from the, the British Federation work because I was the only one on it. Oh. So they were like, well, we can't really afford to pay for a coach and a service for you only. So they're like, we're going to just focus on the, um, the technical disciplines. So at that point, I was like, well, I don't want to ski the technical disciplines, so I have to make a decision. Um, so that's when I decided to switch to ski cross. And at that point, there was no funding in the uk for ski cross mm. because it was a brand new sport it just come into the olympics 2010 and um you know people were kind of just doing it themselves and and I, I thought okay well you know i know i can ski um so i'm just going to give it a try and and really the they kind of said oh yeah you'll be fine don't worry you don't need any training and uh my first race i i quickly saw that I needed training <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah that was it was very you know quick 
a shock that I was like, okay, there's so much to this sport that is not just skiing. Yeah. So I needed uh, needed the help, but it, that only the only uh, coach came in only a few years later. So. Mm. Yeah. So and then you have to self fund yourself, right? And a lot of yeah. these things. How does that work? Yeah. So um, the last yeah the whole time I was doing ski cross was all self funded. And um, you just have to get sponsorship and I had fundraisers and things like that and just people supporting that way. You were sponsored by Head for a while, right? Yeah, I still work with Head, uh, the the free ride uh, division now. Ah, cool. um, Which is awesome. They're they're so good. I always used their tennis rackets. Uh, Yeah, exactly. They didn't pay me, but... (laughs) (laughs) But they're so good. Yeah, yeah. Um, If you want to pay me, I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, so, yeah, they were were great, but... um, you, you, I had to get these sponsors, just like individual sponsors. So it was a lot of work also to kind of try and get that together. Yeah. Um, it's like it, your, your own business. Yeah. Yeah. Like it a was, freelance skier. Right? <laughs> it was, uh, it was just also quite stressful because, you know, if you were to put together, I remember one of my teammates, she put together her individual program uh, with the coach and everything. And, you know, she was spending like 300 grand. A, oh my I, a God. season a season yeah for just like having the right coaches and everything she her last name bezos so <laughs> yeah. yeah it's so it's insane so um you know it, you just need you need a lot for a sport like that it's a really it's really crazy you need your physios and your coaches and, and everything with you because it's just so high impact like you know a uh, sport but um and then of course the travel i mean geez. yeah you're exactly but i couldn't obviously come up with that so i would come up with just this fractional amount that i could just get to the competitions even if i didn't have a coach it was okay i would just so that i was there and i was able to compete so um on one side it was very hard to go against like the best in the world who have unlimited resources um, you know, they have everything they need, you know, when you're, you're kind of like, okay, I'm not even really sure how to come into this one, <laughs> you know? So that was such a steep learning curve and it's something that, um, you know, I did my best with, with what I had and what I could come up with. I'm just glad that I could be there and do what I could do. And I, I think for what I had, um, it went well and, um, I just, you know, it's, it's tough to, to do alone. Absolutely. But what I love about hearing you talk about it right now is you you talk about it with such a sense of pride and accomplishment. <laughs> and I think that's kind of what I was talking about before is that in that moment, I don't think it's very natural to kind of like set goals for yourself. And then as soon as you get to that goal, you think, okay, I'm finished. Like, that's it. When you're in the heat of it, you know what I mean? It's You always want to progress and do the next thing and the next thing. And yeah. um, so at that time, I'm sure you didn't really feel like you had accomplished, you know, much or whatever, especially because you're always looking at your competition. Like, what's this girl doing? What's that girl doing? Yeah. But now to hear you, you know, talk about it and to, you know, I just looking at the list of all the places where you had, you know, like won lots of races and came in second in a bunch of races, um, and they're all over the world. I mean, everywhere from South America to North America to Europe, Asia, you know, Scandinavia. Yeah. I think, was it New Zealand or Australia, something like yeah, that? Yeah, both. I mean, yeah. that's an insane life that you were able to live through, you know, skiing. And yeah. I think that in itself is a huge, like you accomplished something awesome. So do you feel proud about it now, like when you look back? Yeah, I mean, that it's like what I said before. It took some time to reflect and I had such a period where I felt so disappointed um, 
with myself and my performance and and my career actually I was really in a, a place and and I that happened because I was kind of forced into stopping you know it was my body that's just totally quitting on me that it's like I can't do it anymore rather than me having the decision okay now it's, it's time so that was the hard part for me to accept that I mm. wasn't ready to finish but you know my body's really saying enough is enough um you know after some time and reflection and and kind of just just really going over the last you know 15 years of my life I I really could could kind of see it put it into perspective and see that what I've achieved and where I've gone and the people I've met and and just you know the whole career and 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 yeah I'm really proud of all the things that I did and um all the things that I've accomplished and and managed and um yeah it's, it's I'm proud of it's, you uh, I don't even know you <laughs> <laughs> thank you thanks um so yeah but it didn't it, it it was really it was a kind of journey to kind of get to this place where I feel comfortable where I'm like okay now it's it's really I'm I'm I have to stop with it now that's awesome <laughs> let's take a quick break and then we'll talk about the transition and kind of what you're doing now and we're back <laughs> that's always fun to say <laughs> it's like either being a TV news anchor or a professional radio DJ, you know. Thanks for hanging with us there, folks. <laughs> We're happy to be back. <laughs> Where we left it before was that you've now kind of started this new chapter in your life and we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, how you got to Rotterdam and stuff like that. But I think you're an insane person because you decided to start a gym <laughs> during a government uh, mandated lockdown that yeah. doesn't allow any of us poor peasants to go to the gym. So what in the world were you Idiot. thinking? Yeah, you know what? It was thinking like I, we went through the first lockdown and I thought, yo, they, they said that um, health and fitness is, is one of their big priorities and that they're not going to, you know, they're really thinking ahead with that. So they, they kept the, you know, the gyms, they opened them pretty quickly after the first one. Yeah. And we had, you know, really decent um, rules for training outside. So I thought, okay, you know what? It's, it's a risk. We know there's going to be like the second kind of lockdown, but it's not going to be long and it's going to be fine. And I Famous got last words. Yeah. So I got to stay positive. And, and actually it was like, I found this building that I just fell in love with and I really wanted. So I was like, we have to take it. It's next because, to the vanilla factory, right? Yeah. It's right across. Exactly. And uh, it's a brand new building. It's so beautiful. It's just like, like floor to ceiling uh, windows. And it's really high. It's gorgeous. Mm. Um, I saw the pictures online. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. And it was something that I'd really looked for for such a long time. But there was, I, I never found somewhere just like that. I thought they're not going to allow us to have a, a gym in any place that looks like that. So mm. it was really something that was kind of limiting me to, to find somewhere. And, um, yeah, so as soon as I saw it and I said, like, are we allowed to do a gym here? <laughs> <laughs> it was like the key question. And, uh, and when they said yes, I was like, okay, I really need to have it. So that was kind of the, the deciding factor. So what, uh, what kind of caused you to want to have a gym in the first place? Cause I, I, you talked a lot before about, you know, this idea of now you're taking this into your coaching. So I assume that has something to do with it. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, in the times where I was injured, um, I was here a lot more and 
when I was rehabbing, I, I was asked for help from, from a few people with training and also for skiing and things like that. And um, I was ski coaching for for some different people and privately and, and through some different teams. And um, I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed coaching and, and helping other people. And when I was here, a friend of mine, she introduced me to CrossFit uh, the first year I was here. And she started her own box, um, CrossFit Nolteen. And um, well, I know the gym, uh, the, with the same name. Or is, does she also own the gym? Or? Uh, she owned, uh, well, she's now out of it. It's now with uh, one of the, also one of the original owners is, is taking it over. Mm. Um, it's it's uh, It was on Katendrecht. Oh, okay. So right beside the food factory. This one is on uh, how to single. So I guess it's different. Right. Yeah. So it's, it, it, yeah, CrossFit Nolteen. And um, I started training there as a like kind of training system alongside my own programming right. and my own um, training. And she said like, yeah, w- have you thought about coaching and maybe you can, you know, look into it more and you can work here f- with me. So I did that and um, yeah, I kind of fell in love with it then. And I was injured more and uh, <laughs> and I, I spent more time and then I started working at some different uh, places, different gyms in the city. And and um, eventually I was thinking like, OK, my I'm finishing my professional skiing. So now what? You know, I always yeah. did the kind of CrossFit coaching uh, or personal training alongside, you know, the, the, the skiing. But now I was like, OK, I, I need to have something that I want to have that's you know my own and um you know the next step really so -hmm. that's kind of where it came came from that's awesome and so did you have any kind of resistance when you kind of started to say okay I think I can you know start my own gym like I have all these good reasons why I do why I want to do it and you have kind of the momentum was there also some resistance in there like that kind of negative self-talk stuff where it's like you know what? This is it was like a, a big curveball because I always thought I was going to have a gym in Canada. Oh really? Yeah. So please tell. <laughs> yeah. So I I uh, my parents had a house in Canada when I was growing up um, in Canmore, which is just outside of Banff in Alberta, and it's Banff like, is supposedly gorgeous. Oh, it's like heaven. Man, it's the best place ever. So I always said. That and, and in 2010, after I made this transition from Alpine to ski cross, I spent quite some time. I, I skied actually that year with the Canadian team. Mm. And I spent a lot of time there in Canada and in Canmore specifically. So I always said that I wanted to move back there. And so my plan... Not a bad place. <laughs> yeah, right? No offense, Rotterdam, but... <laughs> yeah, my plan had always been with the view of moving back there. So because, you know, I can ski anytime I want then and I could could have the gym. And um, so really it wasn't until last summer during the lockdown when, you know, we were really like trying to figure out what we were going to do that. Hmm, I wonder what that is. There's some beeping. Go ahead. That's just the uh, (laughs) third angle. So, uh. (laughs) okay. Um, Yeah, it was during the last lockdown that that I was like, okay. I have to make the decision here. Am I going to go, like, am I going to wait and see if I can go to Canada and what I can do there? Or am I going to stay here and, and make something here? My boyfriend lives here and he's also a trainer. Um, 
and yeah so I had to kind of make a decision and it came to the point where like okay now we really have the opportunity while the gyms are closed and while I was looking for somewhere mm-hmm. and it was like okay I, I think I'm just gonna gonna do it so it really <laughs> was like a real from like one month to the next thinking like okay I'm gonna move to Canada and I'm gonna make my life there uh to you know what I'm actually gonna um stay here and 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 open something and make something here because of course like I know people here and I have a huge base of people and friends and and my my life is really here whereas in Canada I know a lot of people but to start a business there I would really have to like you know you know it's it would take a lot of time and and just yeah the timing would be completely different and I don't know what's going to happen right now right so so yeah that was kind of like okay and I saw the building and I was like okay I'm sold (laughs) that's how it happens yeah I think yeah that's interesting that because I remember when the so they they did the first gym lockdown obviously that sucked but that was in the midst of what we were talking about before the podcast of like that was kind of like the world might end you know what I mean yeah so then we have that so nobody's really thinking at the moment, oh, damn it, they closed the gyms. You're thinking, I hope I don't die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> then, of course, like summer comes and they basically open up everything. Yeah. And so then they, you know, of course the gyms were, were reopened. And then because they waited so long in this second lockdown to to close the gyms, and they said in the beginning, you know, they they recognize that there's a big public benefit on the health side to having the gyms open. I was hopeful, just like you were, of that, okay, maybe this time, you know, we'll we'll miss that bullet. And then, of course, you know, pretty soon after that, they they close the gyms and then they close the barbershops and then the curfew comes. And so clearly, you know, it's a totally different situation than it was from the first time. But I can't see how you would how you would have that hope, you know, that, okay, well, maybe like and the thing that I keep saying about gyms is that it's such an easy thing to actually do properly with the whole situation. A hundred percent. I mean, everybody can wear a mask. Everybody Under Armour has a dope ass mask that's like, yeah, we have them. Yeah, you have the Under Armour. Yeah, those are so cool. Yeah, we the thing is like now yeah, what we obviously showed before is it's different for like a huge David Lloyd type fit for free gym where they have like a thousand members and they have really a lot of space uh, for people. Um, a small groups training is very easy to regulate. Yeah. So we can get um you know you you mark your space on the floor like a like you tape off spaces they're far enough away from each other everybody has their own equipment in that space there's a walking line so that there's no like crossover of people everybody has their own cleaning equipment you know that so it's very easy to make it safe and and you're in for an hour and then you're out and it's and everything is clean again and you know so there's definitely um ways to keep it really well monitored and safe you know so that the fact that of course they moved it from two people outside you can have four people outside the weather of course here is uh, (laughs) uh, always always uh amazing always interesting (laughs) you know funny thing about that is people always said to me like oh you know what do you think why how did you move here and i said like the weather is great and they were like what are you t- who is this person? I was like, I'm from Scotland. Of course, the weather's great. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> right. So I was like, Scotland's, uh, you know, it's crazy up there, man. Yeah, and you're not even from the worst part. Like it gets worse the further you go. Up. It's uh no, but the thing is, uh, yeah, 
it's so beautiful. When you get a good day, it's like the best ever. But we got some rain. <laughs> you got some rain <laughs> for sure. We're accustomed to rain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have to admit that uh, last night I got a, a little bit on a, I was doing obviously the research for the podcast and then I ended up on a little bit of a Loch Ness Monster rabbit hole. <laughs> oh, really? Because <laughs> then I was like looking at the map and I was like, oh, I see all these locks around and I was like, well, where's Loch Ness? <laughs> so uh-huh. I started scrolling up and my mom when I was a kid was super into the Loch Ness stuff because there's this um one movie that I think Sean Connery is in and she's oh, a yeah. huge Sean Connery fan <laughs> so she'd watch it over and over and over and so I got kind of into the whole thing as well when I was a kid like I also loved Godzilla so it was a very close you know right relation there I was like if Godzilla's there and then the Loch Ness Monster's there no but that whole you know area up there I think is just insane like and then what do they talk about how there's so many like different species or something um just like all through there where it's just um one of the most ecologically unique kind of places on earth yeah so that is also to do with the weather (laughs) (laughs) so you know there's pros and cons for the weather but yeah you know there's four like like beautiful places Mm -hmm. scotland is undoubtedly one of the most beautiful places certainly certain parts of scotland up north and, and and also certain coasts um yeah, it's it's gorgeous. It's just, of course, you gotta you gotta weather some storms a little bit. Yeah, you know, just a little bit. It's fine, <laughs> just a little rain. You can catch a, a nice uh, lucky time, but um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a beautiful place, and um, yeah, I highly recommend it. I would love being. to go. I really want to go back. Actually, it's it's on my list, and then. Um, I noticed that St. Andrews is up there, and I was like, oh, my dad would probably love to go do like golf. a little St. Andrews. And then, yeah, he's a big golfer now. Yeah. He, speaking of injuries, he just had like a, not a rotator cuff, but some other um, uh, shoulder injury. Mm. And he's been out, like he couldn't golf for like six months. And so now he's finally able to, to golf again. And then this guy, he works at a um, chemical plant in Texas. And one of his uh, co-workers is now out for some reason for like three months. So my dad is basically going to do nothing but work for the next three months. Uh, he's like, I finally just get off this no. injury. You know? Oh, man. <laughs> so he's just dying to golf. I can uh, imagine. Oh, well, that's the place he's got to go. And if you can play in Scotland, you can play anywhere. Of course. <laughs> There's this. Uh, it's like from uh, one of my favorite books ever. It's called The The War of Art. And he said that... Um, one day, this guy's name is uh, Stephen Pressfield, and he said one day he was actually golfing in Scotland, and uh, he had this uh, Scottish caddy, and um, he like hit this shot. He, it might have been a story he was telling. I hate to you know butcher it or whatever, but he's uh, he's golfing, and then he hits one in the wind, just and he goes, "Oh man, did you see how straight that was gonna go before the wind took it?" And then he said he had this really old Scottish caddy. He's like, "Well, I guess you gotta play the wind now, don't you?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, just gives him that total like, "What do you think we're doing here? This is Scotland." Yeah, I mean, come on, this makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just hit it with nothing about the wind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was beautiful. I spent a week, I think, around that, not up in the, was it Inverness? Is that, Inverness, Is yep. that the real pretty part? I haven't been, you know, I told you, uh, um, Sterling was like the furthest north. I think I went to, went to see that castle there. Yeah. Well, um, like Loch Lomond is right by Glasgow. It's gorgeous also. Man, I would, I would love to like, because what I was, that's what I was about to say is that whole like Northumberland and then, you know, like borderland kind mm-hmm. of, man, that was just so beautiful. Yeah. The, the rolling hills and then the, it's like a patchwork quilt of different, you know, those fields of things. And 
Um, I think it's like rapeseed. There's a lot of rapeseed yep. up there that they grow. And then there's just sheep everywhere. And yeah. What was insane about some of these old castles is like they're kind of, you know, in ruins now. But you can they're not in ruins in the sense that you can still walk up them and stuff. Yeah. And there's just sheep around, you know, like just there'll be a goat walk up and look at you like, hey, what are you doing? This is my castle. <laughs> yeah. Some Highland Coast around. Man, it's just yeah. such a gorgeous, you know, area. And then do you watch the TV show Vikings? No. They filmed most of that. It's obviously supposed to be beautiful Scandinavia, but they filmed yeah. most of that in Ireland. So yeah. like that that whole kind of area, of course, very rainy. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Outlander. Outlander, uh, that's one of the TV shows. That's a good one. I haven't watched um, that one. That's, you see a lot of Scotland on that. Okay. Yeah. I'll check that one out. So we got into that whole uh, discussion because we were talking about the, the weather here. And um, I, that used to be, I, tr I tried this joke all the time and people would say, why did you move here? And I said, oh, the weather. Yeah. <laughs> but nobody ever got it. They, I know, I know. <laughs> they always took it so literally like, what? But people in Holland, they hate the weather. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's clearly a joke because the weather is terrible. How <laughs> however, I do actually like the cold weather. Yeah. I mean, I'm from Texas and so it's super hot there almost all year round right the, the winter is cold but it's not like you know denver also is interesting because denver would be a lot of snow but then mm -hmm. it might also just be like 30 degrees and sunny out that later that day you know yeah. what i mean yeah so um i i really enjoy the warm weather of course like that like mediterranean stuff but i also always kind of had this fantasy of living in the northeast or seattle something like that okay so this is kind of taking the place of that you know for, right for me but for, so i guess for you to sacrifice moving to canada to stay here and open a gym in rotterdam i mean of course for the skiing factor like you don't have the beauty of banff and that kind of surrounding region yeah but you're you're kind of like you said used to the cold and rainy and this is a little bit of a break so yeah and you know the reason why you know one of the reasons why i came here in the first place was because you can just get in your car and drive anywhere in europe yeah. You can be in Switzerland or in Italy or in Germany or whatever. So for me, I ha I don't think twice about like driving 10 hours to the ski resort or something. Um, so I'm happy to do that like anytime that there's good snow and we can travel. That's what, that's um, what I did. We drove to that Jungfrau trip, we drove all yeah. the, rented a car, drove through Germany. Yeah. It's like a nine hour drive, something yeah. like that. Not that bad. No, because the thing is when I'm like, I'm used to from competing that we we would have one competition in in France and then the next day we had to drive we had a competition in Switzerland and the next day we had to be in Czech and the, you know like so I'm just used to really long journeys yeah and so for me I don't care to drive I don't mind about driving across this, across countries no and it's the same for me because like I just I told you earlier that uh, well my university was two hours away from my hometown. And then, you know, Houston was two hours away from that. So you'd go to concerts and sporting events and things like that. And then, you know, we once drove to a beach in Florida that was like a 10, 12 hour drive or something. So it's like you yeah. have this big road trip culture, I think, in, yeah. in the U.S. And then people, of course, that do a lot of traveling for sports throughout their life also very used to that right but then here it's like you say oh i'm gonna go to amsterdam tomorrow what all the way to amsterdam yeah yeah exactly <laughs> it's so funny because uh i have that also and so now i'm like oh yeah amsterdam is pretty far like, <laughs> yeah no me too crazy no yeah though i have a friend that lives across the bridge like in the south and he's yeah. like oh no no not coming there like, <laughs> i don't go across the bridge it's yeah. too far no, exactly <laughs> 
So, um, yeah, the Vanilla Factory, I've heard about that, but I have yeah. not actually been to that area. But actually, the next podcast episode might be at the Vanilla Factory. Oh, cool. Um, so I'd like to go over there and check it out. But yeah. I, I did see the photos of your of your gym uh, on the website, and it does look yeah. super cool. Yeah. Perfect for CrossFit. Yeah. Um, so I kind of wanted to ask you, because I've only done, uh, like, a CrossFit workout twice. And that right. was because... Uh, in college, I lived with this uh, this doctor who was obsessed with it, and uh, he's always wanting me to go, um, and I wouldn't, <laughs> just okay. because like I just didn't want to do it. Yeah. I actually knew why he wanted me to go it was because he did it all the time, yeah. and he knew I didn't do it, and it's incredibly fucking hard. Yeah. So he was just gonna make me look like an idiot, and he was right. gonna enjoy it. <laughs> but then our roommate, our roommate started doing CrossFit coaching just for a little bit, just to kind of like help out a friend or something like that. And he was still kind of trying to get the, the group going. And so he wanted me to come just to kind of support him, right? not to make me look terrible. And right. so I was like, okay, yeah, I'll come. And I died, man. I died. It was like going back to baseball practice, you know, where they <laughs> are trying to get you to quit <laughs> type, oh, sure. type of day. So what is it about CrossFit that kind of attracted you in the beginning? So I had the same kind of thing um thought about it when when I first saw it and that's what I really liked about it actually I was like oh my god it's really hard workouts I love it um because I really like the really horrible kind of grind like nasty make you die workouts um <laughs> and I think are insane. <laughs> and I think that's that is I don't know just because I just like uh like the kind of training but it's actually what brought me into it, but now, of course, being in it and coaching it and, and kind of, because actually our gym is not officially CrossFit, it's it's functional fitness. What is the difference? Um, functional fitness, CrossFit is just functional fitness, if, um, but you're affiliated with the CrossFit brand because CrossFit is a um, an uh, owned brand and it's you. you oh, trademark. You, yeah, 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 it's a trademark brand, right, of course. I saw that, yeah. And you have to, you have to pay to the CrossFit brand to be able to call yourself CrossFit Love. It's like the mob. Right. So it's like, <laughs> so the thing is with CrossFit is like, it's kind of got this reputation as being this kind of cult, mm -hmm. you know, and, and people don't shut up about CrossFit. If they do it, it's all CrossFit. It's all the time. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yes. That's so, why a lot of people hate CrossFit people. Yeah, right. So the thing is, um, there's also this reputation where it's like what you said, like you just it's like you're going to die when you do the workouts. It's horrible and it's like intense and die after um, you throw up. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but actually, um, what the whole thing about CrossFit is and what they try to push you into what they try to say, but actually is the, is the way is CrossFit is for anyone and it really depends on the gym. So you can go to just like anywhere you can go to a CrossFit gym and they have, really good coaches mm -hmm. and good programming because the programming makes all the difference and um and and you can go that it's much you know it's much more kind of available to everybody and it's not as scary it's not as intense and and of course you can scale up to make it as hard as you want you can also scale down to make it as easy as you want so it really varies and depends which gym you go to. So you can have a good experience or a bad experience. And what we were trying to, uh, of course, encourage is that you have a good experience, mm -hmm. obviously, um, that it is available to everybody because we want to try and kind of break that kind of understanding that CrossFit is you're going to die and yes. and uh, you can only go if you're super fit. And that's actually what we hear from a lot of people is like, oh, I don't want to try it because I haven't done anything in years and or I have injuries or I have this and that. And, um, 
and that's something that for us yeah for me like at the gym i have a partner chris um he we we own the gym together the gym is called the bar rotterdam right yeah yeah exactly and the concept of the gym was yeah the bar of course for the barbells because we do a lot of work with barbells um but also As you should <laughs> right right um but also we have a, a like a like a coffee bar like a health and fitness is that like, where the chicken and waffles come from that's the chicken oh, and waffles they are so good man um yeah that there's something that i keep saying to chris like please can we do chicken and waffles again because <laughs> i just want them myself i saw them on instagram and i haven't been able to get them out of my head <laughs> we will get you some oh, we'll get you some best. for sure um but yeah so so it's really nice because the the focus of the gym like i really wanted to put in because of my experiences being an athlete and like with various coaches i want to have a very specific way of of coaching really technique based and i have a lot of experience with all the different injuries and and helping people with injuries and rehabbing and moving well and and that's really what i'm passionate about is is people no matter what level they're at you can get them really fit and healthy and just learning more about their bodies and and i think that's the key thing is like getting people to understand why they're doing it and like you know wanting yeah. to do it rather than like you're gonna show up and you're gonna do 500 burpees and you're gonna <laughs> you know get on the ground and Oof. and that's like that's like obviously what people think we do but that's not actually what we do and then we have like chris who's his he is a chef um my partner in the in the business is a chef and he's also a coach which is like Perfect for me combo. it was like he the can, best combo right yeah. because i'm like okay i am a horrible cook so i he can he's going to be in charge of like all the kind of the food prep and the healthy foods and like we we will work together with like um specific diets and and the food prepping together and and, and that kind of thing is a whole other side to it it's like the kind of you know other than the training part it's like a full package you know and then we have um, my boyfriend who's also coaching there. He is a part of the business and he is like, um, yeah, he's he's our knowledge base. He's like our fit Bible kind of oh, guy nice. to go to. And Those he, are good uh, friends to have. Yeah, it's a good one to have. And, and he is really, he's in charge of the programming and, um, you know, getting the coaches to the same level so that we can all teach safely in the same way and we all have the same understanding and um, the focus is really individual on each person and, yeah, working on different goals and things like that. So it's it's kind of like we're we're actually not affiliated, so we can't call ourselves CrossFit Box, so functional fitness, but we really focus on each individual and the goals and that that's the plan. Well don't yeah, don't do it. Don't call it <laughs> CrossFit then because I yeah. think I honestly have quite a negative connotation with CrossFit. So yeah. I had my own you know, guy who uh well, like you're talking about your boyfriend, he knows all the stuff and it's like yeah. that's that roommate in college that I told you about. So he mm-hmm. looks basically like, you know, uh Brad Pitt and Troy. And oh, wow. he's looked that way for like 15 years. <laughs> and um, he's just like, he was He was always telling, like he was the first person I knew to start eating quinoa, you know, okay. before it was yeah. the craze and, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. But he was the first person to teach me about like, you know, uh, organic peanut butter and how peanut butter should actually have oil at the top. It should yeah, separate, yeah. blah, yeah. blah, blah. So super smart guy. He actually um, got his master's in pharmaceutical uh, engineering or pharmaceutical science, something like that. Um and now he's in pharmaceutical sales, probably making a lot more money than me. <laughs> but um, anyway, so he actually was one of the first people to kind of tell me about the negatives of CrossFit, mm-hmm. being that 
um, a lot of the motions that you, and I think this is why it's important of what you just said, of kind of knowing the correct way to do things, knowing how every individual body kind of like can respond to these different exercises. Because there are certain things that some CrossFit coaches will do that it's not exactly like a natural motion. So yeah. let's say you're doing too much that's going to, you know, stress your rotator cuff. Yeah. All that's going to do over the course of six months to a year of you doing that exercise. And like you say, you have some of these coaches where it's like, we're going to do 500 of these. And if not, yeah. you're a sissy and blah, blah, blah. Right. Like that's all that's going to do is get people hurt. Yeah. And then they're not going to be able to work out at all. And Definitely. That's not good for anybody. And then also that. Now, I guess the flip side of that is that what I think is so great about CrossFit is that it does have this kind of craze behind it of like, if you actually have the, you know, um, chutzpah to get yourself into a CrossFit gym, then they are going to, you know, work you out and you are going to hopefully get healthy. And there is like this kind of support community around you where, you know, you have like um, all these other people who are doing it. And so if you have somebody who's not active at all yeah and then now they get into crossfit that can be you know quite a life changer but yeah i don't think you have to be an insane cult in order to no. have those good benefits right and that's that's exactly what we're trying to show to people that that and it's also why we didn't want crossfit in our name right because um we all came together through crossfit and we all do crossfit ourselves but it's not the only thing and, you know, I also give personal training and I work uh, at different things. Functional fit. It's just functional fitness, you know. So what you mean but by that the, is basically like being able to do all these different motions, uh, like with a with a box jump and things like that. Like you're, right. you're just trying to get your body to move in these compound movements to where your fitness increases because you're able to do all these different movements that maybe you didn't feel like you could do before. Is that what you mean? I mean, functional fitness just means like, you getting uh, fitter for functional things. So for example, being able to carry the groceries mm. or being able to carry your kids or, you know, things like that. You, you want to go uh, for a, a longer hike or you want to go uh, traveling or I don't know, just like... Uh, so just to be generally just, more fit. Yeah, in just in, in, in general for what you want to do in your life. Um, so that's basically the, the fundamentals behind it. Um, we, I, like I said before, it's, it's in the programming is that, that you know the, in the programming so that you're not overloading someone with with the same thing over and over and over and over it's a very big skill to be able to program for a bunch of different people that don't come on the same days mm. so that that is the hard thing is getting the right programming um but it's just educating the the people that are doing it to 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 work better for themselves so it's it's about their health their fitness rather than like i want to get the fastest time on mm -hmm. this today so uh, that's really where the coaching comes in is getting them to not just telling them how to move it's getting them to understand how they're moving right so what we have is we don't just have one like class like one workout class which is like a, a workout today it's called a wad we don't just have that we will have um you know, specialty classes, uh, we'll have classes if you want to build strength, if you want to build more gymnastics, we have Olympic lifting classes, you know, um, we have mobility classes so that, if you, you know, a lot of people who do this really are super tight, they need to stretch a little bit more, uh, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and ones that are really appropriate to the, the fitness and the workouts that you're doing. We'll have like classes that are more just high intensity classes, use a little bit less equipment, so they're a little bit easier. And, um, you know, so there's, there's such a huge range of things that 
we want to try and be able to guide people to what's right for them or what they want to work on mm-hmm. you know rather than just say this is the workout for today this is what everybody does and yeah go and do it i don't care how you're feeling you just go <laughs> <laughs> give me the 500 or get out <laughs> right exactly yeah i think that's great honestly and um you know i think one of the things that's difficult for people who are not in shape at all is that you don't have a lot of immediate kind of feedback in the sense of if you go on one run or you go on five runs, it's not like you immediately see, let's say you're, you're overweight yeah. okay, and you go on five runs, you're not going to see a real kind of reduction in body fat or anything like that from those five runs. Yeah. You might eat super healthy for two weeks and yeah. you may not you know, see any. So I think what's difficult about that is you, you don't have that motivation of kind of that feedback loop of like when you're in good shape and let's yeah. say you've taken six months off from the gym because the government won't let you work out hypothetically <laughs> <laughs> and then you start working out again, you're immediately going to start seeing, you know, gains because you're already in shape. You can see your muscles because you're lean and then yeah. you see them getting bigger when you're really out of shape. You don't have that, you know, yeah. and so it's quite difficult to, first of all, get motivated enough because you, you seem so far away from your goal. Yeah. And then secondly, it's difficult to keep going because you're not seeing, like you, you see the effort and you feel the effort, yeah. but you don't see the returns. So right. when you're trying to, you know, when maybe talking to people about joining the gym or just getting back involved in, in fitness in general, how do you kind of guide them in those baby steps to kind of make them feel comfortable and make them feel like, uh, I guess, confident in the beginning? Right. So um, it, it's been said a lot before, but it's really the case where you have to try and um, understand what someone is looking for first. Um, and they have to really trust the process. So there's like a you, you understand what someone wants and then we make steps to get that uh, way. And then, um, yeah, you just have to make them believe that uh what you're talking about and make them comfortable enough that we just take baby steps uh, because it it's different really for each person especially if it's someone that's really overweight that hasn't done anything um you know we just make certain steps for them so that we don't put them into a class and they have to do something that they've never done before and they're sore and can't walk for a week that is absolutely not what we want to do right right it's like going to scare them off actually instead so you just make sure that um you know who you have in the class you know what they're after and we make sure we have the coaches that have the understanding to be able to scale appropriately for each person and make them feel comfortable while they're there um try to give them a better understanding of you know, maybe some small steps that they could take that will eventually lead them to what they want to do. But it's not like a full life changing thing for them. It's like some incremental changes that they can make. It's better to, what what we found is it's much better to take these small steps, small changes in your your life, your day-to-day life that will make a huge difference over time rather than just saying, you know what, you have to cut out this, you have to do this and you have to, you know, so because those things just aren't sustainable. Right. And those things just are things that are like totally alien to most people that have just not done any of that before. So it's just about making them understand and and kind of just showing them a clear path on, on how to do it and, and them trusting the process. 
Yeah, it's it's also difficult to when you're trying to get somebody to let's say build a new habit. It's very difficult to build a new habit and stop doing something else at the same time. Yeah. So if if uh, the thing I was actually talking to my mom about this the other day, and I used Oreos as the example, and she said, "I don't know why you hate Oreos so much." <laughs> Truth is, I love Oreos, and that's why right. they torture me. But okay. let's say that you you know eat too many Oreos, you eat a lot of junk food. If you tell me that oh you should stop eating Oreos right now and start eating vegetables if I'm not eating any vegetables at all, like that's a totally new practice that I have to introduce into my life. So not only are you telling me I have to stop doing one thing, which is going to be difficult on its own. You're also telling me I have to start doing, so it's really a two, twofold thing, right? Exactly. So I think it's good that you kind of have that incremental approach where, Hey, if we can just get you coming to the gym, get you feeling good about the movements that you're doing and and kind of enjoying the the process, just like you said, then I think that's a, a great way to kind of get people involved. Yeah, you know, um, I actually train also the firefighters at the airport. The nice. Rot- oh, is that where Rotterdam you came from before? Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. And what I have there is I have, um, and I love it there because I have such a, a variation of people that I'm training. That's interesting because your gym looks a lot like a firehouse. Like where right? you would yeah, put, where you would put the in. truck in. <laughs> that's maybe why I liked it so much. Um, but the difference is, of course, there is these guys that are on shift, they aren't paying like you they're not going to the gym they're not like paying a membership to like go and work out it's part of their job so it's it's a kind of different dynamic actually because because you have the people that that want to work out and you have the people that 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 don't and um you know these guys they're they're in such a physical job uh you know it's really important for them to be fit and healthy and strong so they it's they do huge amounts of work they put a lot of effort in and they've really really come on these last these last years actually so for me it's very rewarding to see that but um i have this uh uh, kind of incremental step thing that i was just talking about i have it with some of the guys one in particular who loves coke Coca cola (laughs) and he drinks i think he started he was drinking like three or four liters of coke a day oh my god yeah and he's like just loves it well okay i used to drink that much if not more back in the day <laughs> right? so I'm not trying to, uh, three or four liters almost kind of got me but uh that's still a lot though it's a lot a two liters like this yeah. so i don't know if i've ever drank more than a two liter a day yeah it's really i've never even had a coke before what yeah in no, your life no i got I one in the fridge <laughs> <laughs> i've never had coke before i don't know oh. It like scared me. I think you did the, the whole like sugar thing back in school. And I was like, oh my God, that's a lot. I made the joke to some colleagues at Lindahan the other day that um, they, uh, for, in order to make the COVID vaccines for Americans, they actually had to put a little bit of Coca-Cola and McDonald's infused <laughs> in the uh, recipe yeah. <laughs> in order for it to work for yeah, us. Well, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so this guy loves Coke. And he's well, addicted to coke he's it sounds addicted. like well, coca-cola it, yeah it, it is yeah we have to say coca-cola <laughs> not coke right um well we call it coke but that's different now you come around europe i mean we call every soda a coke in coke, texas yeah. like it's, right it's all coke yeah just get me a coke um but he, so he is actually addicted because of the sugar content he's really addicted to the sugar so what happens is when we've tried to like take him a little bit off like reduce his intake just a little bit because that's we had i can't say like okay you have to stop it drinking coke so he has withdrawal symptoms from the sugar i bet so we've had to like really <laughs> yeah we've had to like really gradually 
come down with the amount of of coca-cola that he drinks and that just that alone you know has made already a big difference i have the same thing with one of the guys who just didn't drink water Hmm. he drinks like 16 17 cups of coffee a day but no water yeah yeah i guess yeah right so you know that's for me that was like mind-blowing because his muscles his organs everything is going to be like super dehydrated so i'm like that's like uh, horrible for you um but that's just what he knows so already just introducing like one or two cups of water a day which is still nowhere near enough for a normal person like to you know it's not enough for them to be drinking that already has made a big difference mm-hmm. so it's just like those small steps that are manageable you know you have to just find the way to kind of introduce it and already makes changes yeah absolutely don't don't start with the uh stop eating oreos start with the hey just eat like one vegetable a night yeah exactly because that's just a little bit more fiber that's going into your stomach that gives you a little bit less room for oreos and again (laughs) i'm sorry oreos but you are evil i think (laughs) i mean i do think this is one of the biggest problems in the u.s that people don't really i mean obviously the world knows we have this huge obesity problem but Mm. we're just all addicted to sugar and we don't talk about it we are literally walking around I, I call myself a recovering sugar addict because i honestly don't think it'll ever go away right i had this uh, lady in a english course the other day it's like the end of the course she was giving me a gift and it's this nice glass jar full of chocolate eggs oh. and all the little chocolate eggs have little things like caramel and stuff inside them yeah. i told her i was like you know it's gonna be gone in two days like, <laughs> i can't i can't resist this you know so that's why I just don't go down that aisle at the grocery store because yeah. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to eat it all the first 15 minutes from being home. Yeah. It's an addiction. It I, is an addiction. It's just, it's not like a, I'm <sighs> lazy or something like that. You know, it's sugar. It's a real powerful drug. Yeah, it's the most powerful drug. And it's it, m- and there's just not a lot of nutrients in the foods that you're eating that are so high in sugar. So your body is still telling you, hey, we still need more food because yeah. we haven't gotten actually anything that's you know helping us here. Yeah, and it's just spiking your insulin levels, and then you're dropping, and you're you're feeling like crap, and you're feeling tired, and then you want to have more sugar, and then yeah, it's a whole never-ending cycle. Yeah, I think it's it's something when you talk about high-performance athletes like yourself is when you talk to people like that, like you do have some that are just kind of like these genetic freaks where it's Mm -hmm. like I eat McDonald's twice a day and I I do whatever I want. You know, there are those people, famous athletes who would get drunk like a night before a game and have no problem, you know? Bodie Miller. (laughs) (laughs) Michael Jordan supposedly (laughs) smoked like like three cigars before every game. Like, I don't know how you do that. Exactly, yeah. But most high-performance athletes are not like that. Like Like, they know once your body is kind of, tuned to like you you notice the incremental differences when you're yeah. talking about a sport that's like one hundredth of a second could win or lose you're going to notice little things in your body of, of how you feel and that's i think you know how they kind of get so into oh i know exactly what goes into my body and all this stuff but for normal people we're not out there you know gonna die if we crash our head on a ski slope at the same time like you will feel whenever you just are giving your body the stuff that it's designed to have a yeah. huge difference yeah and i think it's the same thing with the fitness and that's why i think it's so great with that you guys are not married to the whole crossfit is life like you yeah. have to be an insane like i think just you know teaching people a fun way and getting people uh i guess active in a fun way with other people is always a positive so yeah when i started uh, you know my english school people used to, the, the thing they used to say it was like, oh, but there was already English schools in Rotterdam. 
Oh, wow. So, like, you shouldn't start oh, one, you then know? that's it, yeah. And it's like, well, there's not one exactly like mine. You yeah. Know? And it's the same thing with gyms. Like, uh, pro- hopefully nobody, when you said, I'm going to start a gym, like, they already have gyms here. Like, you yeah. should start something else. Yeah. Because there's always so much room for people to improve yeah. and for people to, you know, I guess, like, kind of grow. Yeah. And uh, it's just, I think it's really cool that, uh, that even amid the, you know, pandemic that you guys are still kind of... So, what's the, the status of that, I guess, of you... When do you... Yeah, so I mean, we're still waiting, of course, to 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 open officially. We we had our like soft opening planned. We had an event planned for the the nineteenth of December, where we we had this event. Um, actually, everything was really good protocol, but it was inside, and we had a hundred. It was like a hundred tickets for for spaces for this event, and it sold out within a couple hours, which was great for us because we we were just, of course, uh, brand new. Um, so the momentum was really good when we when we decided to start. But then, of course, just the week before that um, event happened, of course, we went into this lockdown. Mm. So that event never happened. And in the meanwhile, we've just trying to been getting the gym ready. And then we've had to put some things on hold, of course, um, with things that, that we want to do in in the gym until we um, we can get going. Right. Um, but we're just running some outdoor classes at the moment. So some some really small groups making because we have pretty big area, so we have enough space. For people space. who are 27 and younger? 27 and younger, I know. This is the weirdest thing ever. Um, you know, so we we are allowed to have... Total bullshit, yeah, by the way. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, because when you're 28, you're like... Yeah, I'm 29. Bullshit. I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I'm not healthy enough. I see some pretty terrible-looking 25-year-olds right? out there. Right, exactly. Um, but, you know, so we, we have the space that we can run these, like, really small uh, um, group trainings and we we make them just 30 minutes because um i think at the moment everybody is doing some kind of outdoor training all the gyms um they're mostly an hour but we do them for 30 minutes because we just make an intense workout that you can come and you know get warm do your workout and go rather than sitting in the rain or like waiting too much getting cold outside um so the 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 kind of focus there is a little bit different it's also different from what we'll do inside but uh, we just want to give a kind of start or something while we can. Um, we're obviously doing the food uh, drops, like the chicken and waffles, that kind of thing. Yeah, how did that start? Because um, you guys, you talked about the unique concept of like your, uh, not really a bar, right? But your... Uh, yeah, it's like a coffee, coffee bar. Oh, coffee bar, yeah. right. Yeah, so yeah. half coffee bar, half gym. And, yeah. And so then you started chicken and waffles. Like how, did yeah. that, how did that happen? Well, because uh, my partner, Chris, he has a, a food prep company called Tastebo. Mm. And he... Um, he makes those he's made them in the past for his company and so i was like okay chris we got to do some chicken waffles because it's my favorite and um you know people love them so absolutely something we just did um and a lot of people here because of course if you're american you kind of get the kind of maple syrup on stuff right yes absolutely but here people were like huh like maple syrup with chicken like what so it was kind of mind-blowing for a lot of people like that doesn't make sense um, so we've done quite well with that because people, uh, people, people like it. People have tried it and, 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 um, yeah, we, we've, we've run that a few times and that's, that's been, that's been nice for us to do. It's been nice for me to do. Also. <laughs> <laughs> and um, your boyfriend's over there. Do you know how many calories? You're I know. Are you seeing how many, what your macros are right now? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't look, don't look. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so for that side, it's 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 been it's been also good for us to do something different. 
um, we're, we're, we're constantly just trying to think of some different things. And we have a really fun um, Easter event planned, actually, for the Easter uh, weekend. Um, if we're still outside, we've got we've got that's going to we're going to hopefully start promoting that this week also. Um, it's just it's more fun that you can come in with with a partner and um, you can win a bunch of prizes and um, yeah there'll be a lot of different things involved but nice yeah it should be it's more like a fun event just to kind of build a a little bit of community rather than you have to come and die in your work (laughs) (laughs) right so um, yeah so it's been nice we've been doing these walks with uh, with a friend of ours who owns this gym in the city um, culture club and they've been doing walks all over the city and we've been doing them kind of hosting them at our place so that just brings a different kind of a group of people that we wouldn't normally have um that wouldn't really know we were there mm. so it's been quite nice just having us uh, the exposure from that and working together with uh, you know to, to work with both people and um so yeah it's, we've just kind of been trying to do what we can <laughs> in this time so what can people in in rotterdam do if they listen to this and they think oh i, I like the the idea of the bar rotterdam like i want to check it out or i want to support what what can they do to kind of you know reach out or find out more information so uh, we have our website, uh, thebarrotterdam.com. It's also .nl. We have both. Um, you, we have a lot of information on there. So also like contact buttons and um, links to, you know, all the, all the things that we're uh, having at the moment. The really thing that we keep most updated is our Instagram page because the Instagram really has like the, like the food drops, the timings and, and all that kind of thing. That's where we really will show all the things for the Easter uh, weekend, for example. Um, so yeah, the, I would suggest uh, if you if you have anything, just uh, go to the Instagram page. You can always direct message us, or uh, Chris's mobile is on there on the website. So um, <laughs> nice you know, and transparent. Yeah, if you want to get anything, he will he will have his mobile there. So message him at six a.m. I'm gonna need some chicken and waffles yeah, today. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Hit him up on the uh, on the WhatsApp. Um, so yeah, there's we're very approachable, and um, you know happy to take any questions we've had a bunch of questions from people recently um, about you know starting memberships and we have this early bird deal that's um it's a a starting rate for a membership it's a a lower price than what we'll have when we're open and it basically is like um you know if you, you you are one of the early bird members we you get a lower price and you stay on that lower price and you also can get like a month or two months for free Oh, nice. So, yeah, we want to, like, also give back to people that are supporting us that we can support them. And, um, you know, we're not doing it to become this, like, crazy money-driven business. We're doing it because we love it and we're passionate about it and we want to help people. And so so we think it's it's um, it makes sense to be able to help people as if and they're also helping us. So, so yeah, that we have this early bird rate. And um, one of the questions was, of course, like, but... I don't know when the gyms are opening. So if I buy the early bird, like I don't want to be starting it now. Um, we have some people that already started their membership just for supporting, which was super nice. But Oh, that's cool. I'm yeah. paying fit for free to do nothing. So. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, the nice thing with this is, of course, you can you can choose your start date. So they can they can start like, say, April. And if it's not April, we can always move it back. So that's been a nice thing for that. We've had um, like a little feature that we've had on at the moment and um yeah we, we, but we're uh we're we're really happy with the people that we have in 
uh, now with the people that we've met already and we're kind of building our own community and it's really it's really been nice already that's really awesome yeah very excited to hear about it because i think obviously you've been going through some tough times with it all but yeah. i do think we'll eventually hopefully get out of this uh, that we'll get to the light at the end of this terrible tunnel um the last thing i want to ask you about before i get you out of here is just um you know as an entrepreneur you know, i kind of touched on this earlier about the resistance of you know before you started it and stuff like that but um, as an entrepreneur and then also as a female entrepreneur, I think like it's a it's a difficult thing to kind of do. Uh, sometimes I think what happens is you do get that spurt of adrenaline where it's like, no, I'm just going to do this thing. Yeah. And then if you ride that out, then you can kind of let it let it carry you. And that's a great thing. But can you maybe just give any advice to other people who might be thinking, you know, listen, I because you did one thing your entire life and now you're doing something related, but also pretty different. Mm -hmm. Just any advice that you can maybe give other people who want to start their own business, especially, you know, like you've done it abroad. And then also, you know, for any uh, female entrepreneurs out there, any kind of message you might have for them. So I just think that you have to have a really solid plan of what you want. Um, you know, you, you can't start too broad. You have to really focus on exactly what you're looking to achieve. Uh, for me, that was a big, you know, a big thing because I, I started like, oh, I want to do this, 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 this. And when you narrow it down and really kind of pinpoint exactly what, what do you want? Like for me, it was like, I want to have the best coaching, educational, awesome gym there is yeah. uh, with really awesome food. So it's like, okay, how do I get that? So it was, uh, <laughs> you have four businesses. <laughs> right? Exactly. So just like making a solid plan and then making your kind of steps in between to kind of get there. So those small things that you have to do each week, you have to do this and then you break it down to each day. What do you have to do there? Um, how long could I, could I make it work if, this happens <laughs> you know <laughs> contingency like, plans right yeah. like uh just kind of cover all your angles and um and i also think that don't be afraid to kind of reach out for help to people and if you're struggling and because that that's also been something you know especially right now it's like you know people want to do everything alone but i think it's 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 uh, healthy if you if you're struggling with something to kind of ask for advice or look out for some help or something like that. That's also nice to do. Um, it's healthy to do. <laughs> yeah. And, and, um, yeah, I think really just, you can, if you have a solid plan and, and you've kind of gone over all your angles, I, I, and, and you're something that you're also really passionate about there, I don't think you can fail actually. And, and if you do fail for some horrible reason, at least you gave it everything you got. So I think you'll definitely be happier that you tried and failed as long as you don't 100%. lose too much money. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, exactly. I'm not in those shoes, but um, you can lose some money and still look back on it and then be like, actually, that was still a lot of fun. Yeah, that I did that. Yeah. And if, if you do everything that you can do for it, you know, there's some of course, there's some times that circumstances are outside of your control that, you know, you, you know, some unforeseen things can happen. But, you know, that's unlucky and especially you know. while you're young man like yeah. especially like i mean you're only 35 like this could be a total failure and you yeah. would have 15 other chances after yeah, you know exactly. so young people you know should be taking chances and of course like it takes a while to get the experience to where you can have a plan and and learn that's a skill to learn how to kind of scale it down and yeah focus on those things and I definitely think people shouldn't be afraid to, to take those chances while they're young and yeah. don't bet the farm. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, but, uh, exactly. Yeah. Be smart about it. But, um, yeah, it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable. 
you know like do, doing some uncomfortable things i think now um some sometimes it's like you want you kind of stay in your comfort zone yeah but it's okay to just kind of push out of that and and take some risks and take some chances and calculated risks yeah calculated <laughs> risk are key. and then you also said something pretty um i think important with the about not doing things alone and uh, I, this is a difficult time for a lot of people right now because a lot of people I think are alone and more alone than they've ever been. And yeah. I have this um, this one colleague I saw her. Actually, I saw her the day that I did the first podcast episode. Oh, cool. And so, you know, I mean, I'm just like everybody else. Like, I mean, actually worse than some people. I live alone. So, you know, it's like sometimes you get kind of down and, and yeah. I'll, I'll have my ups and downs just like everybody else. And I saw her and I was on this huge high because I yeah. had just done the first podcast episode. And I saw her and she was like, how are you? And I was like, I'm amazing. I just blah, blah, blah. And she was a little bit kind of disappointed in a sense because it was like, um, I could tell she was kind of, you know, struggling uh, yeah. with, with the lockdown and stuff. And, yeah. um, and I, so then once I kind of saw what she was talking about, I was like, no, look, two days ago, like I was down, you know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. on a high right now. Cause I literally just left doing the first podcast episode. But, um, I think, you know, it's, it's definitely something that if there's ever a time to just open up and you know, call a friend or do whatever you got to do. Don't be afraid to tell them, look, I just needed somebody to talk to. Cause definitely. So Cause also like, like what you're saying, like everybody is going through these highs and lows. Yep. So that's the thing. It's not like, you know, you, you should be able to talk to each other about what's going on because everybody's in the same boat and there's good days and bad days. So, and it's going to keep going like that. That's, yeah. that's what being human is all about, you know, is definitely trying to not let the highs be too high and the lows be too low. But. Exactly. Well, Pam, you're an incredibly uh, impressive human being. <laughs> I'm uh, very happy that I was able to meet you. Thank you so much yeah, for likewise. doing the podcast. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me on. Super nice. Awesome. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.